Hey, Joe. Uh, yeah, 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 Scott. <laughs> Turn the light off. Keep your shirt on. For episode 10 of Stealing in the Day. For the record, my shirt is on. I'm a very modest person. It's true. Yeah, we're all very clothed here. Uh, I'm Joe McElhaney. <laughs> hey, and I'm Scott Beckett. Was that? Did I do that right? That's the first time that you've started it. Yeah, I, like I know. It. That's, I remembered to be a host this time. <laughs> yeah, and this is uh, Stealing in the Dan. We are here uh, uh, to talk about uh, Turn That Heartbeat Over Again, mm-hmm. track 10, the final track. Not penultimate. This is the ultimate. Ultimate, uh, only in terms of chronology. Yes. Uh, uh, track on Can't Buy a Thrill, uh, Steely Dan's debut album from 1972. Mm-hmm. I realized, listening back, uh, listeners, we are all living in a crazy, well, I guess Joe and I and Dakota particularly are living in a, a crazy flux where we are like editing an episode from two episodes ago. Uh, and recording an episode, two episodes in the future of that. So uh, all that to say, like, I have recently been listening to myself say that the album was released in 1973 and being very wrong. Uh, the album was released I, in 1972. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> I was just going to let it fly. Uh, yeah. Uh, as as we have said frequently, if you come here for facts and figures, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, we talk about feelings here. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and Feelings don't care about your facts. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Our feelings don't care about your facts. Uh, but yeah, uh, here we are to talk about uh, uh, Turn That Heartbeat Over Again. The last song. We did it. We've, we've reached the we, end of the album. We've broken the ribbon. Uh, photo finish. I yeah. don't know where I'm going with this <laughs> metaphor. Um, yeah, how are you feeling? Uh, just in general? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> sure. And about uh, uh, about uh, Steely Dan and our podcast. And oh, you know, I feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a rainy day today. It, yeah, I know. It's, yeah, it's a it's, it's, a, it's a, a weird headspace. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've ever like. Uh, well, I don't know that we've done. Uh, an improv set since we started the podcast, but uh, we certainly have never, if we have, we've never done an improv set and then the next day recorded an episode. Of the oh podcast. yeah. Yeah. We, Scott and I performed last night. Yeah. Which uh, is a rare occurrence these days. Yeah. Joe is a fairly regular performer, but I have been very, uh, I absent. yeah, I haven't been doing improv lately. Though. Right. Yeah. I, I think one of the, the great things about being an improviser or maybe great thing isn't uh, the right way to put it is, it seems like uh, you do it long enough, you, you have a real ambivalence for the art. <laughs> and a real, uh, why am I doing this? <laughs> I, I'm embarrassing myself. Yeah. Uh, uh, but now I just go up there and I just try to have fun. Yeah. Uh, and don't take myself so damn seriously. It's true, yeah. It's a, it's a great disposable art. It, uh, it, uh, yeah, you just kind of get up there and if something great happens, neat. And if not, then sorry too. Nobody remembers. <laughs> Very low risk. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but yeah, cool. Um, well, yeah, here we are at the last song. Uh, we just spun it here in the Oregon Hill studio. Um, as we uh, typically do, we'll get our uh, first impression uh, from producer Dakota. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I would put good money on uh, betting that uh, this is the first time you've heard this song. Very first time. Yeah. Thoughts? It's the okayest song. <laughs> <laughs> That Rush Europe and the Beach Boys never wrote. Oh, oh wow! 
I love all those answers. Yeah, we don't have to do the best song nobody ever wrote because that I think covered it. I I had I had some answers, but none of them were as good as those. You said you said Rush, Europe, and the Beach Boys. Yeah, I love that. Perfect. Europe. Did Europe do the final countdown? Yes, it did. Yeah. Those are great. (laughs) I'll just throw mine out there. Mine were like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, which I say all the time, Mm -hmm. but this time specifically because of the vocal harmonies. And then inspired by a very brief Reddit fight I saw on uh, our prog rock music about whether this was prog or not. I almost Uh, brought this up too. Uh, but um, uh, uh, but so uh, somebody said that, uh, that this reminded them of Genesis, which very much offended another member of oh, the board. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that you saw that too, because I was like, I, I'll admit that the research for this episode uh, was uh, no, I didn't do much. Yeah, and uh, you know uh, that was one of the first page Google results. Yeah. and reading the surprisingly <laughs> heated. Like why? Like the prog- sir, sir. This is not prog. This is not prog. <laughs> yeah, the guy said, um, "I maybe we should pull it up the uh, oh, exchange." Yeah. But um, I do have it here. Yeah, the one person submits. You know, I think we'll we'll do it as a as a theater piece here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love the Dan, but this is not prog rock. I think so. It reminded me a lot of Genesis in some ways. I have to hear. What in the fuck reminded you of Genesis with this one? No question mark. (laughs) Hey, cool it, man. This is just a subjective discussion. The keyboard tones reminded me of Genesis a bit. I can hear it. Harmonically, the verses and instrumentation, parentheses, arpeggiated guitars, have a Genesis vibe. The different song sections are far more distinct than a, a typical dance song. Fagin seems to be doing different characters with the voices, too. It's Steely Dan. It's still Steely Dan, but there were definitely prog influences with that first album. I mean, Real and in the Years sounds they were like they were trying to pull a perpetual change a little bit. Maybe that was not the exciting live <laughs> theater I thought it would be, but I think it's great. I, I just think I, I love that there was a brief but spirited discussion about whether yeah the Dan qualifies as prog rock or not. The one guy really just hated the <laughs> bringing the hammer down. Yeah. You have desecrated the halls of our prog rock music. With your implication that Steely Dan has anything to do with Brog. They are not progressive. There does seem to be a Venn diagram, though. It's like the same thing with Zappa fans. It's like Zappa, Prog, Dan, Jazz. <laughs> You're kind of, there are a lot of overlaps there. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's a, a bunch of fan bases that are, like, adamant in their beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, uh, I guess this, yeah, this really, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real. Um, what is it? The, um, the tyranny of minor differences. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I'd also imagine in those overlapping circles are uh, really extreme internet atheists. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of libertarians. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and now we're associated with these. <laughs> These fucking people. These fucking people. Yeah, to all the hardcore Steely Dan fans out there, we just want you to know, we are not of you. Yeah, we're, we're, I don't know. <laughs> we're coming at it from a feelings perspective. Yeah. Uh, it's true. I was thinking about, you know, because we, we talked about this the other, uh, on one of the previous episodes. Again, I'm lost in the vagaries of time. But um, we said, like, like, it seems like most people who spend a lot of time thinking and talking about Steely Dan approach it from a musical standpoint mm-hmm. um and we tend to more approach it from like a thematic standpoint yeah or literary almost well, yeah. i mean not but yeah 
And I think like the only other thing, even in all this, you know, we've been focusing on these tracks, but like the only thing that I've stumbled across that was like that is that thing that we brought up in the first episode, the William Gibson review mm-hmm. of um, uh, Two Against Nature. Yeah. That's the only other thing I've like where the, you know, somebody has been talking about like the themes of it. Yeah, I, I feel like I've somehow I absorb. I didn't come up with these ideas I have about Steely Dan on right. my own, but um, yeah, I guess I guess uh, nowadays more people are, uh, or the people that tend to be very passionate about it are like you know into the recording techniques or whatever. <laughs> right. Maybe 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 that's a mischaracterization of yeah our many fine listeners out there, but yeah. Uh, turn that heartbeat over. <laughs> yeah, we should talk about this song. But although, like, yeah, all this, like, similarly, I, I didn't do a ton of research, but partly because there's just not a ton out there. There's not a lot of discussion about this song. Right, yeah. I think uh, definitely on the more forgotten side of uh, of the tracks on the album, um, yeah. even, even more than some of the other sleepers we've talked about. Yeah, it uh, yeah it catches my ear more than like the ones that I had never like Midnight Cruiser and stuff. The ones that I had never really noticed before, or especially um, uh, Fire in the Hole. Like I think those are the two that really like slipped past me until I started listening closely. Um, mm-hmm. This one catches my ear because um, I still like I've been thinking about this since we recorded the last episode, um, and I I knew that this one was coming up. I don't know how to describe this, but there is a sound in this song. The opening of the song and then like the organ vamp it's like it's it's either the key or something the sort of like jazzy folky mm-hmm. sound um again this is why we need to make musician friends <laughs> who can actually tell us what we're talking about um but there is a song sound there that like i can only describe as like it just it sounds like um like a lot of 60s and 70s like late 60s early 70s movie soundtracks mm-hmm. like I, I think like especially the graduate like i hear these sounds and i picture like northeastern college campuses in autumn okay yeah <laughs> yeah i think i i think i know what you're talking about yeah um, i think part of why this song has uh, maybe caught my ear other than uh, more than some of the other ones is i mean it's just so fucking weird yeah <laughs> it's it's right. um an outlier on an album that we've kind of, as we've gone through it track by track, have discovered that it's a lot of outliers yeah. in, in one album. Yeah. Um, but this one is, I think, by far the most kind of eccentric song. Yeah. On on here, um, feels well placed at the end. Yeah. I was I was thinking about this, and um, maybe this is getting ahead, uh, but how the song bookends the album with do it again and how they in some ways are reflections of each other or uh mirror images um you got kind of uh uh three verses kind of telling a story and kind of this concept of i mean uh, i think my reading of the song is that the bridge slash chorus like i don't even know how to describe the structure of the song right um but kind of this idea of like I'm gonna go straight if you just help me out, Jesus, you know. Right. Um, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that these these low life characters in the song are gonna do exactly what they were doing before. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, it 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 seems though like whereas do it again is kind of more epic and uh, mm-hmm. um, mythical. Uh, this is more clumsy and human. Yeah. Um, and that feels, I mean, in some ways it feels like an anticlimax to end the album that way, but it also, it feels right to me. Right. Especially on a song cycle that is about a lot of losers to kind of just go out on this like, 
Well, it's kind of like a sharpening focus, too. It's like first you introduce these like ideas and themes and then you kind of like sharpen the focus into like here are some specific examples. Yeah. Yeah. Should uh, I guess should we get into the the I feel like we've talked around the song. Let's get like get into the meat of it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I guess like the actual yeah, like the the story of the song. It is like right. Like I definitely was thinking about how um, it is like one of few like straightforward pretty concrete narratives no oh, well, i i was gonna say for me I, I'm, I'm all over the mic right now uh, <laughs> it it feels like the most cryptic song on the album oh really I, I, yeah so i'm I'm interested to what what's your read of the narrative yeah i mean it's i mean it's I, and I get, it's it's like relatively concrete for steely dan i mean it's it's still not i mean they're still like and it's like i don't know yeah i, I guess i don't know it's it's it just seemed thinly veiled to me so I mean, we can just go through it. Like, uh, verse one, with stocking face, I bought a gun. The plan was set. The plan was done. Looked at my watch and started for the door. Now the food here ain't so good no more. And they closed the package store. So, like, I mean, it, but I mean, like, I think it's pretty clear, like, this guy did some sort of a heist job. Yeah. And, yeah. like, I guess I, what's not clear is, like, how successful it was. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's something in the verses, the way they're structured is, yeah. is really interesting to me because it comes out with that kind of. Um, I don't know if it's finger picking, but like the first two yeah, yeah. lines uh, yeah. will will be you know kind of set the scene. Yep, and then the song kind of kicks in, the keyboards kick in, and we get a kind of song gets a little funky. Right, um, and then we get a third line that's like, okay, he's about to go in and do this job, and then it cuts to the last two lines of the verse, which are some sort of it's almost like it zags into the macro or like right. into something more abstract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a really, I mean everything about this song is bizarre to me but that uh really uh stuck out to me the more i listened to it and even the even the rhyme scheme it's it's like not obvious on the first verse because the first verse the rhyme scheme is a a b b b but on the subsequent verses it's a a b c c so like that that third line doesn't rhyme with anything yeah it's almost like um one of those weird like not haiku but like yeah. a weird poetry right. uh, like a weird structure form or that, something. Yeah, yeah form there that's what the word i'm looking for yeah um and it seems that like the few people I could find commenting on the song, like they all seem to hate it, and I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah, I I do too. Um, I do think it's like weird and a little jarring, but like I kind of dig it. Yeah. Um, so first verse, yeah, he he's gonna pull this job, right? Um, and then as he's going in the door, we don't get to see what happens. It's like cut. Yeah. Um, this is a, a few comments about my neighborhood. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Which I guess provides context for the, you know, the milieu that this guy's coming out of. But yeah, um, and then okay, okay, we go to the so they call it the on on genius. I'm looking on the genius uh, lyrics page. Uh, they call this this next section the pre-chorus. Okay, love your yeah. mama, love your brother, love until they run for cover. Turn the light off, keep your shirt on, cry a jag on me. Yeah, just kind of these like almost. Uh, like advice for better living, but very like really funny to me. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, well, especially, yeah, love them till they run for cover. I love that. Yeah, yeah, love, love them till it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then we move into, I guess, the chorus. Yeah, that, which that does is, not feel like a chorus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. It feels like a that feels like a bridge or yeah something. Yeah. 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 Oh, Michael. Oh, Jesus. You know I'm not to blame. You know my reputation for playing a good clean game. Oh, Michael. Oh, Jesus. I'll keep my promise when you turn that heartbeat over again. And we know that these characters do not have a reputation for playing a good clean game. Right. You know that's a and the good clean. I mean, clearly, joke. someone has overdosed. Oh, you think so? That's that's what you're. And that's the narrative. It's weird because, I mean, it, like a lot of the song, it seems like the narrator has overdosed. But like mm-hmm. this one, he's talking to somebody 
Oh, Michael, oh, Jesus, you know my, you, um, you know I'm not to blame. You know my reputation for playing a good clean game. So it seems like somebody got a hot shot. Okay. Um, and this guy's saying, like, whoa, man, my stuff is good, you know. Oh, yeah. I never thought about it like that. I thought Michael, I was like, yeah, it's probably some Bible shit. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, on, yeah, whoever, I mean, I I don't have a lot of faith in, in whoever annotated this song on Genius. But they say, like, it's Michael the Archangel and Jesus. And I'm like, but, like, what's, why? What's Michael the Archangel do? What's well, I guess deal? he is the Avenger. or He's, like, the Angel of Death. Oh. He's, okay. he's like, the hitman for God. Uh, the only Michelangelo I know is John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the same guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Was he supposed to be Michael the Archangel? I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't remember. It's a subject for further research. I I'm guess. trying to remember. Um, oh no, Christopher Walken in um, what was that movie? Prophecy or the Prophecy? The Prophecy. Yeah, yeah. but he was. Um, he, was he Michael? No, he was um, Gabriel. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I never anyway. saw it. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like <laughs> a lot of that stuff, like the choirs of angels, like it's it's like a lot of fantasy stuff where like it sounds really cool and involved, and then like you read into it and it's not that well defined. But mm, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Scott yeah. critiquing angels over <laughs> yeah. here. Catholic Church, work on your lore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, that's a that's an interesting read. So so let's go to the second verse here. The yep. Um, guy at a bar. Yeah, my poison's named. You know my brand, so please make mine a double Sam. Stir it up nice. I'll eat it right here. Yeah, um, that's another hot. funny line. Uh, just the thought of like the bartender putting it on the table and you just eat it. Eat. <laughs> yeah, I'll just, I'm gonna eat mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this highway runs to... from Paraguay, and I've just come all the way. Yeah. So again, this jump to kind of an abstraction. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, what Paraguay being the. Uh, a, a drug route, yeah, I guess. Okay, like that. I mean, again, I don't know how. I didn't like. Uh, I didn't do a bunch of uh, uh, what do they call it? Um, fact checking, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The the genius annotation was that like there is a prominent drug route that runs from Paraguay, Bolivia, up to the United States. Oh, okay, yeah, that. Uh, yeah, I just kind of took it like, all right, this guy is maybe coming from somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah you know. Um, been on a long perhaps sketchy journey and has oh, yeah. ended up at this bar um yeah i mean especially like with the like uh please make me you know like a double sam kind of seems like a reference to casablanca so mm, like, yeah yeah um yeah maybe we're in the orient or something yeah uh yeah. and then verse three uh yeah so we do the pre-chorus and the chorus again and then we have the instrumental break the actual bridge is the instrumental break um and then <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we warned the corpse of William Wright not to cuss and drink all night. Ticking in hand, we saw him laid to rest. But zombie see and zombie do. He's here with me and you. Yeah, William Wright uh, being such a generic name, it's kind of hard to research who who they might mean. I, I don't know if you found anything on that. I mean, like the first two Wikipedia hits are um, a critic, like a New York theater critic, okay. and writer, and then an actor. And, like, neither of them seem plausible for this. Cause, so, like, my read on this is, like, we watched a guy die of, like, either an overdose or a hot shot. Mm-hmm. And, like, we're all dummies, so we keep using heroin even though we just watched our guy die. Yeah. yeah. Zombie see and zombie do. Yeah. I saw, I saw. Um, I guess my reading of it was just, like, you know, another kind of the moralizing, that the, the mock moralizing that comes up in the, the pre-chorus and the chorus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this they got a dead guy here, and they're like, "You shouldn't be partying." <laughs> it's like he's already fucking dead, right? Um, yeah. yeah, and I, I didn't know what to make of ticket in hand. We came to lay, see him later rest. Like, uh, didn't know if he's like famous or why would you need a 
Yeah. So like my read was, and, and like, I don't remember cause I don't, I can't remember if I had these ideas before I looked at this genius page, which was like long time ago for some reason. Um, uh, but like after the genius page, like the heroin thing does seem like pretty, I don't know. It, it seems pretty plausible anyway. But so ticket in hand is like, they're all holding mm. at the funeral. <laughs> yeah. Like planning to shoot up. Oh, wow. Yeah. I like this. I like this read. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could also think of, uh, you know, when you go to a funeral, you get the little, the little prayer card. Oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe like that seems like the price of admission. Is, right. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. So, like, the Genius page declares that they are referencing the the critic playwright, but, like, I don't know, nothing in that guy's uh, Wikipedia yeah. page or anything I could find quickly suggests that he was a drug user. And he lived until, like, 20, 2007 or something, so oh, he, wow. di- he didn't die before the 70s. Yeah. And then the actor guy died in the 40s of cancer. Mm. So, yeah, that's... Uh, I-, I think you were right. I think it's a generic name that rhymes with uh, night, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, I think even without, um, for me, like the narrative cohesion of it, the mm-hmm. the gist is very much the same. Yeah, um, you know, kind of this. We're looking into kind of a sketchy criminalish underworld, right? Um, where people keep fucking up over and over again. You know, yeah, that's. If I don't know what a Steely Dan song is about, <laughs> that's usually a good way to orient myself. Safe to, bet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I guess we kind of talked about how oddly the song is is structured. Like, yeah, um, it veers a lot. Like we talked about on um, Fire in the Hole about how like the piano line goes like fluctuates between like um, staccato and more lyrical. But mm-hmm. this is like, like you said, it's it's like wild shifts in instrumentation in um, like key probably. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, um, it it seems I mean this kind of just popped into my head, but have you ever seen the Third Man? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the Zither score for that, right? It's got that kind of same like something is not quite right here, off kilteredness. Um, yep. Maybe it doesn't match the subject matter uh, fully, um, but gives it kind of this ironic feel. Yeah, um, I don't know. It, it's a song that the more I kind of delve into it. I mean, it very well could be kind of tossed off, um, but it it feels uh, like a rich text to me. It feels like there's there's uh, just a lot of weird shit going on in it. Yeah, I saw. I saw like again the brief research, like something on Steely Dan Reader. It was like an early interview with them. It was a guy interviewing them like after the release of Camp I a Thrill. So I think they were already working on Countdown to Ecstasy, but. Um, they like just like it was like a one-off tossed off line um where they said that this song and i think fire in the hole were older songs right yeah um and that uh like uh what fagan said is like since then we have because the guy was like so what's changed about your writing style between the older stuff and the newer songs and he's like we streamlined which Mm. makes a lot of sense for this song compared to the rest yeah i was trying to think like what else in the catalog sounds like this and the closest I could come, and I could be wrong because this is the album I return to the least, is it's got some of the kind of uh, weird pastiche pop feel of uh, Pretzel Logic, right? Um, like yeah. it would, it could slot in there pretty comfortably, maybe. Um, right. I mean, it's like it doesn't sound like any other song, but like it has the same feel of like you know East St. Louis 
Toodaloo and mm-hmm. you know because it's like it sounds because it's one of those songs that sounds so different from everything else. Yeah, and it sounds like it's harkening back to something. It sounds like a reference or something. Yeah, um, and as you know, as Dakota and you kind of laid out in your comparisons, it's like <laughs> the it's hard to pin down what genre this is. Yeah, um, yeah, the Becker like solo vocals are like pretty jazzy, kind of mm-hmm. um, like swingy. And then all the the you know like the pre-chorus and the chorus stuff is like very tight vocal harmony, very like four four, yeah, um, straight ahead folky almost, but like a little too tight for that. Yeah. So oh, maybe it's important to point out that Becker does vocals. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, although it's not clear to me, like, so wh- when when is he singing? Is he just doing? Backup? I think he's just like one of the people in the pre-chorus and the chorus. Okay. In yeah. The love your mama, love your brother. Uh, and I'll I'll give. I'm assuming David Palmer is also doing some of those. <laughs> And you know what? I think he does pretty good in this song. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's I, like I don't know if you've ever tried to sing along to this song. Uh, I was on the drive here. <laughs> yeah, but like, it's really hard to like pick one vocal line. Like, I find myself like I'm like, oh, I'm doing the tenor part. No shit, now I'm the baritone. Like, like mm. I can't ride one vocal. Yeah, just in general, it's such a, like a like I listened to it over and over again today, so I should know how the song is structured. But there's right. something about. The chorus feels like it should be coming before. Yeah. Thing. And, and I don't know if, I mean, if we want to get real heady about it, like that's something about the cyclical nature of the song is that the right. the chorus feels like the beginning. And, yeah. Um, but it's just like there's something about the structure of it, the way it's delivered that um, the song never resolves for me. Right. Uh, and that, that breakdown, which is, again, kind of fun housey vibe not the stooges album but like the place with the fucked up mirrors right um it, it reminds me of do it again a little bit the the yes. weird organ meltdown there um mm-hmm. uh, except this time there's like no it, uh, it is it, it there's no payoff it doesn't uh, right it doesn't there's no satisfaction in it it's not like a particularly pleasant breakdown yeah uh, our boy, we mentioned him once before, S. Victor Aaron, mm-hmm. who I don't know at all, but um, he runs a, a website in, where he does like Steely Dan Sundays. And this is, I think, from like 2011 or something. It's from a long time ago. But he, he said specifically that this was his least favorite Steely Dan song. I think yeah, it, I he that. actively dislikes it, which, I, again, I found surprising. Like, I'm, I don't, <laughs> maybe it's just you and me alone on the David Palmer Sucks Island. But, um, uh, or, and again, like, <laughs> no shade to David Palmer, but like the songs that he sings are my least, like you said, like they're my least favorite Steely Dan songs. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's objectively true that they are the least Steely Dan, Steely Dan songs. Yeah. Um, like this one is still on brand, even if like the music is kind of jumping all over the place. Like you said, thematically it's, it's on brand. Yeah. As a, as a postscript to our David Palmer hate fest. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when we were doing the episode on Brooklyn, uh, it was the charmer under yeah. me, um, thinking, oh, maybe I was a little harsh on dirty work. Yeah, and then I was doing the edits on the episode about Brooklyn Knows the Charmer the other day, and I was like, you know what, this song's not that bad. <laughs> no, Brooklyn, uh, yeah, Brooklyn is is fine. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think that song's really okay. Like, uh-huh. I have the same. I, I have what Dakota said about turn that heartbeat is the way I feel about Brooklyn Knows the Charmer mm, to me. It's, yeah. it's really okay. It's the most okayest song <laughs> yeah. on the, the album. Yeah, um, yeah. 
It's, uh, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, our, our buddy S. Victor, and like, this seems true to me. It just doesn't, like we said before, like, it doesn't bother me the way it seems to bother everybody else. He said that this song is a pastiche of unbaked ideas ha- hastily slapped together and goofy lyrics. Yeah. Which, like, I can't argue with that. It just doesn't bother me the way it seems to bother him. Uh, it does kind of, I mean, that contradicts the idea that this is an older song that they, they had presumably been tooling around with for a while, that it was hastily thrown together. But it, it does yeah. have that kind of... Um, was this planned out feel to it, you know? Right. It's, it just seems less integrated than their, like the stuff that they've done since. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It seems like they had all these ideas and like since then they have figured out how to do like a, like edit, like that is a good idea, but not for this song. Like we just don't need to do all these things in one song and be like, here are ways to make these disparate ideas fit together better. Mm, yeah. But, yeah. I looked this up on All Music and I just thought it was funny. Um, so All Music has this thing called attributes. It's like a way to tag stuff so that you can like make uh, playlists, you know, in, in a slightly more abstract ways. Um, uh, and I just thought this like uh, song moods I thought was interesting. I- ironic, irreverent, laid back, mellow, literate, playful, quirky, romantic, sardonic, sophisticated, witty, wry. Uh, but then song themes only for day driving, hanging out, <laughs> late night night driving <laughs> so it's, it's just a great driving song. yeah you want to drive to this <laughs> any time of day at yeah. all uh, uh yeah <laughs> yeah i was driving t- here in the rain listened to it three times yeah uh, so if uh my insights seem especially trenchant that's what did it <laughs> yeah i can confirm good driving song i was yeah. literally doing the same thing on the way over here um yeah i don't know um so i and we, we didn't uh mention at the top of the show uh what else we'll be talking about but if you are a good listener you will know from having heard the last episode mm, uh, yeah. that are that our picks uh, alongside this um uh, all to say that like uh i felt good in retrospect about my pick and i really like your pick your pick i think is a great um companion piece to this um but, almost by accident <laughs> <laughs> and same for me yeah. um uh my references were super again like super literal um mm-hmm. uh but then there seem there are some good um thematic uh connections as well um but we will be talking about uh, joe's pick uh, which we will talk about um on the back half of the podcast um is good time uh by the safety brothers from 2017 yeah uh and my pick was uh the sultan sea from 2002 directed by dj caruso um, starring the main man <laughs> yeah val val kilmer val kilmer um yeah so uh 2002 it seems like some people know this movie but it's not super well known mm-hmm. um it seemed like it was kind of like a on like here and gone indie movie um uh but yeah starring val kilmer um and uh <laughs> um peter sarsgaard and bd wong and uh um an unrecognizable vincent <laughs> vincent d'onofrio i did um, not realize until after the movie was over it was him i thought it was uh like an actor, is it um, Taylor Pruitt Vince or Vince Pruitt Taylor or something? I thought it was like an actor that kind of looks like Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. Uh, and then afterwards, I was like, that was fucking him? <laughs> yeah. And apparently Meatloaf is in it. I don't remember that at all. I oh, feel like I maybe his character meatloaf. got cut, but he was in yeah. the credits. <laughs> yeah, I don't like, remember oh, seeing meatloaf. Meatloaf's not in this fucking movie. He must have just, like, if he's in it at all, he, he would have been just like one of the gang, one yeah. of Pooh gang. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, directed by, this was DJ Caruso's uh, first directorial, like, or at least feature, mm-hmm. feature film debut. Um, he had done a bunch of television um, he's since like he seems to do a lot of like thrillers and stuff. I think his biggest credit is he did Suspiria, um, Suspiria, the remake. Or, I thought that was um, 
the guy that did uh, fuck. call call me by my name. Oh yeah, oh, and like it could be because it seems like this guy gets like tapped for a lot of stuff, and then it doesn't end up happening. When I looked at his credits, he he did uh, Disturbia. Oh di- no, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of the wrong thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it's he's Disturbia. done a couple of Shia LaBeouf movies, and my only memory of that movie was going to see it at the Bird, uh, our our local uh, kind of uh, second run movie theater slash beautiful old movie palace yeah. for for our non Richmond listeners. It's great. Go if you're in town. Um, It'll come up again. Yeah. Later in the podcast. Oh, a um, little preview. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, I went with a girl I was dating at the time, and a friend of mine was roasting the movie the whole time. <laughs> you know, it's just like a teen ripoff of Rear Window. This yeah. is a tangent. And uh, uh, she was afterwards like, I don't know if I like your friends. <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, we got married. <laughs> no, that's not true. We, we broke up my first week of college. Oh, uh, bummer. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, she's all right. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, I'm yeah. still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> she's moved on. Um, Disturbia, Taking Lives, uh, Standing Up, uh, mm. The Disappointments Room. <laughs> Wait, Taking Lives, is that uh, with Ethan Hawke and Angelina Jolie? Yes. Uh, uh, when <laughs> Ethan Hawke was recently at The Bird. It's true. Uh, a Screening friend plays. of mine <laughs> gave, gave a friend... Uh, a DVD to get signed of Taking Lives. <laughs> he said, give this to Ethan if you see him. <laughs> I don't know anything about Taking Lives. I, did, I didn't know anything until I was like Googling DJ Caruso. I did see like it was a huge box office disappointment. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I doubt it was very good, but my friend had a copy and wanted to get it signed. <laughs> that is hilarious. I don't think it got signed. Of all the things you can hand Ethan Hawk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he did uh, um, <laughs> I Am Number Four, whatever that is, and Triple X Return of Xander Cage. Yeah, so not much is what yeah. our long way of saying he has not done much since the Salton Sea yeah. of interest. Um, right. I mean, see, yeah, this was like his like sort of shot to like do something interesting, and it seems like he was trying to like cram in as much as he could. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it seems like he was primarily a TV guy. So he did, he did a bunch of episodes of The Shield and Smallville and stuff. Mm. Um, but anyway, um, Salton Sea. Uh, so starring Val Kilmer, um, it's very. Um, uh, it's very like of its time. Like you can tell, it's in the same class as like. Uh, I say a class meaning like same general time period as like Memento and, um, mm-hmm. you know, like inspired by or, uh, you know, a a child of, um, you know, uh, Pulp Fiction and all that stuff. Yeah. So it's chopped up linearly a little a little bit. It, it hides its backstory for a while and then reveals it. Uh, but it follows uh, Val Kilmer, um, who is at the top of the movie says he has two names. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and- it open, opens on a very... Uh- very um, film school slash enigmatic image, uh, right? Or at least trying to be an enigmatic image of him playing trumpet with burning money all around him. Yeah, uh, he's in a burning apartment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so he's either a jazz trumpeter um, or a junkie, um, and or maybe perhaps both. Could it be? <laughs> um, yeah. So then, cuts back a ways to to show how he got to this burning apartment playing jazz trumpet. Um, and he's well first it, it gives a brief history of uh, of meth of uh, methadrine um, uh, which, little proto breaking bad right. felt like um, yeah and I, I like that little bit of business mm-hmm. um, especially the uh, <laughs> the the cook and the uh, trailer and he has that great line of uh, problem is even Julia Child screws up the bully base sometimes yeah and then the trailer explodes um, uh, and then shows him amongst a, a cast of losers, although um, uh, one of them being Adam Goldberg. Mm-hmm. I love that guy. Yeah. Um, this is not the best movie, but he's good 
in what is given to him. <laughs> um, and he's hanging out with a bunch of, oh, and Peter Sarsgaard um, playing a very interesting character with like a slight parallel to, to good time. Um, mm. uh, uh, and then, um, yeah, so he's, 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 in, uh, he's hanging out with all these junkies. Uh, and then it's revealed that he's an informant for a couple of cops who seem somewhat shady um, played by uh, Anthony LaPaglia. And I'm forgetting the other guy's name. Um, yeah, I don't. I didn't recognize him. Well, most famously, he was the asshole guard in Green Mile. Oh, okay. Um, a movie that I, I never saw. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then so then, like, eventually, it is revealed that um, he was like on a vacation with his wife, or just like a day vacation uh, with his wife at uh, the Salton Sea. Uh, they got lost, and they stopped somewhere for directions. And while they were there. Um, the the gas station that they were at or motel or something was shot up because it turns out that there were drug dealers working out of there mm-hmm. and it was shot up by these two cops whose deal is that spoiler the, alert yeah well sorry I mean <laughs> yeah. again hopefully you're a good listener and you know we always spoil the movies um uh so it turns out the, these two cops deal is that they they rob drug dealers and then resell the drugs mm-hmm. um and so uh they his wife is shot accidentally um and he like uh despairs for a while and then uh falls into a life of drug use so that he can figure out how to get back at these guys yeah he's a, he's an addict by choice for revenge <laughs> yeah a very uh a very dubious premise <laughs> I, I don't know if that's the right word but yeah. uh premise that i find absurd but yeah. um <laughs> anyway that's the movie uh my my history of the movie this is yet again another one of those dvds that my dad sent me randomly either while i was in okinawa or north carolina and mm-hmm. i i like remember liking it quite a bit at the time like it wasn't like my favorite movie or anything but i was like oh that was cool yeah uh and upon revisiting it i don't know like it d- definitely some shine is off of it but uh i still enjoyed watching it again revisiting it mm. Yeah, I remember when it came out, it sounding interesting to me. And at the time that it came out, that would have been the time that I was getting into stuff like Fight Club and yeah. Requiem for a Dream and things like that. Um, so it it's like kind of, it feels like even amongst that kind of, um, I don't know what you want to call it, I, not dorm, dorm core movies, but like <laughs> uh, kind of... Uh, I don't know, uh, sort of subversive. Yeah, like pseudo-intellectual bro movies. Yeah, that you can get at Blockbuster. Like, it it feels like even amongst those, it's kind of a forgotten title. Like, it seems like a lot of... Um, I would have probably enjoyed it at that time right. had I seen it, um, but it was, it was like, on the lower tier of those, those movies. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I... I think for me, I it was it's a good contrast with Good Time for me. Yeah, that um, yeah, it, it brings into sharp relief why Good Time is so good. Yeah, because it's the the whole kind of drug background. It feels like that's the hook mm-hmm. uh, for what is a pretty normal kind of. Uh, attempt at kind of a mind fuck neo noir um, right. post memento thing, mm-hmm. um, and the drug stuff like there are all these colorful details and like weird characters and stuff that just feel like you know they, they don't in a movie where the drug use feels authentic it may have been like felt like interesting anecdotes or like wow it really is crazy but here it feels like 
there is no actual um, knowledge of what being a meth head is like it's just the kind of colorful details that like a screenwriter will pick up on and be like oh this would this would look great in a movie you know um yeah it doesn't it feels almost like it i don't want to say trivializes drug use but the whole concept that like val kilmer is just like he's a normal guy who's like slumming and kind of has this weird restraint in his drug use yeah um because he's on a revenge mission it felt very kind of off to me um yeah i mean it feels right it, it it feels like not authentic or of that world yeah for sure and i and like i mean i wouldn't know i've never used meth i've never to my knowledge known any active meth users um but um i did see a couple of things online where people were like yeah this is you know th- these people know nothing about the side effects of meth yeah yeah um it it seemed like it would have been such a a more interesting and dangerous movie if like what if val kilmer was actually like spiraling into this addiction and there wasn't this like what if he was further along in his uh addiction or what if right um he didn't have the kind of control that he has that would have been such a um a more gripping story for me right or like what's interesting about memento right is like he doesn't actually get revenge it's just turns out this is just how he's coping with his condition spoiler <laughs> sorry yeah 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 um but there you know there are definitely in in um there are moments that kind of uh they stand out you know i was gonna say i mean that's what i like about it like i totally agree that like it's not a good film um and like everybody like it's the the reviews are wild i mean nobody thinks it's a great film obviously but like um you know ebert gave it three out of four um plenty of people liked it fine um and then a lot of people hated it like a lot of people just like straight up trashed it Mm. um uh, which I mean, you know, like turn that heartbeat over again. I don't know that I get the vitriol against it. Um, I, I like I agree with the notes, but like the it seemed to drive people nuts in a way that it didn't ever drive me nuts. But what I like about it, um, what what I enjoy about like revisiting it is, have we talked about before like the um, the basketball term heat checks? Mm-mm. Or are you familiar with that? No. There's um, I'm like a brand new basketball fan. Apologize to actually. Are actual, you wearing a basketball shirt right I now? I am. Yeah, I'm wearing. Uh, this is my Christmas present. <laughs> this is like a very douchey thing. I think um, <laughs> we're gonna have like five digressions here. There's a concept that uh, in in England, um, soccer fans that wear like the uniform to the game are called full kit wankers. Okay, <laughs> because like you're not playing asshole. Why are you wearing the uniform? Mm. Uh, but this is uh, so. Uh, Joe is uh, noting this is my Christmas present for my wife, who got me exactly what I asked for, which is this is the um, like the warm up hoodie that um, the Wizards, Washington Wizards, wear when they're sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you know they, they take these off before they go in the game. But it's like I feel weird wearing this out in town because it's so specifically like the one that they wear on the bench, yeah. <laughs> and I am so clearly not an NBA <laughs> basketball player. Yeah, uh, but I'm a huge fan of the Washington Wizards now. Have been for a little over a year now, and I'm having a great time. But uh, in basketball, there's this thing that they call <laughs> a heat check, because guys will frequently nobody is really consistent all the time in how good they are at shooting. Like mm. very good shooters will have cold streaks, mm. um, and sometimes guys who are not great shooters will have hot streaks, especially like within a game. And so there's this concept called a heat, a heat check, where like a guy will take a shot that he wouldn't normally make, and he makes it. So then he starts taking increasingly hard shots to see just how hot he is right now. Okay. Until eventually you get to the heat check, which is like, oh, I'm not that hot. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I think this movie is full of heat checks. Uh, yeah. Give me an example. Well, I mean, just like Adam Goldberg, like everybody's like going for it. Like Val Kilmer is like going for it. Yeah. Um, 
Sarsgaard, I think, does a great job. Like, Sarsgaard, I think, is, like, the one weirdly human element in this story. Like, with an incredibly risky character. Yeah, I think, uh, for me, he is definitely the most emotionally resonant character. Yeah. Uh, the, the tattoo reveal scene being yeah. uh, maybe the most effective scene in the movie for me. Yeah. Uh, I also like uh, B.D. Wong's character. Yeah, it's just so weird. Yeah. Um, just um, really, all it is is the accent, but it's done without any sense of, like... It's like I think the movie wants it to be a joke that he's like this weird cowboy. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't play it like a joke and it, it makes his character kind of like really interesting whenever he's on screen. Right. Well, especially because like in that world, like you would think maybe that's a persona because mm-hmm. he's an F, he's like a, some sort of law enforcement guy. Yeah. So you it's like, think he's a drug dealer at first. Um, right. Or at least unless I miss something. Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, because he's supposed to be like um, the Val Kilmer's character is like setting up this drug deal where B.D. Wong's character is going to buy drugs from um, Vincent D'Onofrio's character. Uh, Pooh Bear. Pooh Bear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the, but then it turns out that um, B.D. Wong is law enforcement. Mm. And like Val Kilmer is vacillating between the idea, like he's setting up this heist so that the crooked cops will hit it. Mm. Um, and um, but he's vacillating between killing the cops and having the cops arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but so B.D. Wong, but it's I mean, like you said, B.D. Wong is introduced is at first as just a potential drug buyer, but then is revealed that he's law enforcement. But so it's like it would have made all the sense in the world that like the 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 Texas accent and the and the cowboy affect was like so <laughs> some law enforcement's terrible idea of a like a fake persona but yeah it, but he maintains that the whole time yeah yeah uh, yeah it's an interesting performance um and then i was on the fence about picking this movie until i remembered vincent d'onofrio like i had forgotten that whole sequence and then mm-hmm. when i remembered vincent d'onofrio i was like oh yeah i gotta rewatch this <laughs> yeah um yeah i yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'll say i was at val kilmer I'm a fan of, and I think what I like about Val Kilmer is uh, he's he can he's got a great smart ass delivery. Yeah, um, that's something it, I don't think much of the movie anymore. It, it hasn't survived rewatches for me, but like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, yeah, his character in that is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a real genius fan. Yeah, <laughs> hugely. Uh, I I think he can be hilarious in a role like that. Here, it's like I didn't at. I, I was like waiting for the something to kick in. He has a few good like smart ass lines right. in it, um, especially yeah, like with him, when the cops are fucking with him and stuff, and he just kind of gives it back to him. Like yeah, but I just I didn't believe him at all. Um, I yeah. did. I found this uh, Manola the- Dargis review, and I I think she well maybe I didn't even write it down. Shit. All right. Well, <laughs> she kind of describes it, it. It's like he he like goes for these notes but he doesn't quite hit them like his commitment isn't fully there so there are scenes where he's like mourning his wife or whatever and they feel like those are the worst like his actual person tom van allen like those are the worst yeah it just doesn't feel like a committed fully committed performance to me and then vincent d'onofrio does feel fully committed (laughs) but in a way where i'm like i was never afraid of him i never found him menacing or even really funny it was just kind of like oh he's he's playing this bad drug dealer um it it took me a while to realize like oh he's the main bad guy in the movie right you know because uh i was like this is just another character that we're gonna forget about and no he's he's there for the long haul uh yeah i mean he's i mean yeah i guess he probably read a lot more menacing the first time i saw it when i was much younger mm. now it's it's mostly funny yeah but i I don't know yeah i mean it feels weird i feel bad saying that like i'm still 
amused by the scene where he's like recreating the JFK assassination. Oh yeah, with, I mean it's, with birds in remote control cars. Yeah, that. But just like I don't, I don't know, I don't. I, I, it's bad, but like I, I do find that amusing the way that he's like, oh look at the first lady, she's so lovely. <laughs> yeah, I mean that scene is definitely like when I was watching it, I was like, oh this is this is another example of like this. This is their colorful moment, and yeah. I was like, "But uh, what does this mean?" <laughs> right? What is it? Like, I mean, it's just it, yeah, but it's just supposed to establish what a whack job he is. He's yeah. like some sort of weird sociopath. Yeah, I, I found this. Um, there's a scene where uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is going to feed Val Kilmer's penis to a rabbit badger, <laughs> Captain which, Steuben. That sounds insane. Don't talk to me. Dress <laughs> Captain Steuben. <laughs> <laughs> but like, man, will say anything when he's supporting badger food for a pecker. <laughs> it's like I, you know, I've done very little acting in my life, uh, but you give an uh, amateur actor, you say, "All right, the scene is a badger's about to eat your cock." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you could make the stakes felt, but like the whole time, I was like, "The, the badger's not going to eat his penis." Val Kilmer knows the badger's not going to eat his penis. Vincent no- D'Onofrio <laughs> knows the badger's not going to eat the guy's penis. Like, yeah. there, it felt like just like, okay, well, this, this is just not going to. Is a, this this doesn't feel like where are the stakes in the in a, yeah you know I, I guess know. so I mean I thought the scene like the the, the beef brains gag worked a little bit better mm, but again yeah, like yeah. what I, what I like about that is that after he breaks and he says I got you I'm a dog and he like holds the socks up like dog ears yeah I'm a dog and I got you yeah that part's pretty funny <laughs> yeah uh, and then like after he gets shot and he's just like doing he's like like crushing up glass and like listening to that weird yodeling record yeah <laughs> could have been a cowboy if only had a chance. Yeah, um, I forgot about that. Broke yeah. my rocking horse. <laughs> it's just so weird. It's yeah. not good, but I just love how weird it is. Yeah, and it feels like the uh, yeah, that's like the the screenwriter I guess wrote this as like not even a like he didn't expect this to get made. It was right. just something you know calling card I guess. Um, yeah, and it feels like there's a lot of moments in there where it's like, how do I show them how original I am? Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely very try hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the whole sequence with like the uh, Adam, which I don't even know if it really happens or not. The Adam Goldberg talking about his plan to steal Bob Hope's poop. Yeah, the Bob Bob Hope shit heist I wrote down. <laughs> that's one of the quirky moments. Uh, yeah, that one feels a little tryhard. Yeah, the scene opens with a a man. Is he in a wheelchair or he's got a um, a guy singing "Walk on the Wild Side"? But it's oh, like an yeah, old guy yeah, yeah. kind of uh, karaokeing it. Right. Um, yeah, it's a bad attempt at David Lynch. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that in it. A lot of kind of weird stuff with the uh, neighbor. Uh, yeah, the whole thing with Luis Guzman and is is, yeah. is bad. Um, it ends up being sort of pivotal to the plot. Yeah, in a in a way that well, it's because it's like well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's just supposed to read as like dark irony that like he he's, he went through all this trouble and then like what got him was the weird neighbor next door. Yeah, there's the whole subplot is that uh, he's got this neighbor who's. He being abused by her boyfriend, who's played by Luis Guzman, mm-hmm. uh, an actor I usually love, but here isn't given much to do. Yeah, um, no, and it's just so like kind of on the nose and yeah, and he like you know basically Val Kilmer tries to rescue this woman and yeah. uh, it backfires on him. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there there's also like the movie. I, I don't know, maybe I my attention span wasn't there but it's a little it it's feels a little fat a little what fat well i was gonna say like confusing 
Like there are yeah, certain things it. that um, like I think the screenplay like twist will happen and you'll be like, was I already supposed to know? Like they're not emphasized correctly. And yeah, um, there's the there's this final shootout scene kind of climax. Um, and then uh, then it just cuts to him in the apartment mm-hmm. uh, very suddenly. And you're like. For a minute, I was like, wait, is he still at that house and Luis Guzman and the abused woman are there? Or, like, it just, it feels like maybe, like, first-time director, screenwriter mistakes. I don't I don't know. Um, yeah. It is, it's a little confusing. It makes a lot more sense on the second watch. Not that I can necessarily say you should watch it twice. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole bit. I mean, uh, although, again, like, uh, it's not good, but I love that Arlie Ermy is in it for five seconds just because. Oh, yeah. He's, a, he's playing in a relatively straight role he's uh yeah he doesn't really do the arlie ermy thing he's i, I completely forgot about that subplot yeah, yeah. it's the wife's parents because it, 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 it's just this weird thing because like there's like there's a bmw following him around that seems menacing and it seems like maybe it's somebody that's got a hit out for him or something because the cops say that like somebody's trying to kill him or something but then it turns out that it's like his his wife's mom is like following him around yeah there's a lot happening in this movie <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Tr- it tries to do way too much yeah i mean the uh like even like ebert gave it uh three out of four mostly he said based on um val comer's performance and uh vincent d'onofrio's performance but he did sit like his knock on it was um he said it's all pieces and no coherent whole mm-hmm. which i uh, i said is like uh, makes it a fitting tie-in for uh turn that heartbeat over again <laughs> it's uh, disparate ideas slammed together not always effectively <laughs> mm. there i mean there are things about the movie that i'll remember that you know kind of uh, in context, they're not good, but out of context, maybe they're good. Right. If that makes sense. Like, uh, yeah, if you the, pull up like YouTube clips. The well-spoken young drug or uh, gun yeah. dealer. I, I almost, uh, yeah, I almost like pulled that out and just read it, but it's like, you should just watch that. It's probably on YouTube. Yeah, a very... That, he's he's uh, credited as kid selling guns. Yeah, and he's just like a very uh, straightforward salesman, and it's kind of this weird little performance piece that... yeah. Mr. I, at the end. Mr. I will not lie to you. This gun is not the bomb. That's yeah. why you can walk out walk out with it today for the low, low price of $150. Mr. I only deal in high-end weapons. All guaranteed stolen. All traceable only to the original owners. Glock, semi-automatic 9mm, Tenefer matte finish, polymer grip, fixed sights, 4.5-inch barrel, 22 ounces, double action, and a 10-round magazine. Mr. I can hook you up with this gun for the low price of $350, well below market value. Maybe looking for something with a chrome finish, something to impress the ladies. This right here is the Llama Mini Max 38 Super Auto Semi-Automatic. Fresh satin chrome, black rubber grip, three dot fixed sights, three and a half inch barrel, skeletonized hammer with an extended slide release, eight capacity magazine and single action. Mr. I will not lie to you, this gun is not the bomb. It'll do the job, but it ain't all that. That's why you can walk out of here with this gun for the incredible low price of $150. Maybe you're looking for power. Well, this gun got mad power, mad kick, and mad reputation. That's right, it's the Smith 357 Magnum Revolver. Rubber combat style grips, fixed rear, rev front sights, two inch barrel, weighs in at a feather like 21 ounces, eight shot capacity and double action. Mister, if it's impact you're looking for, the Magnum will satisfy all your needs. Mister, these are my guns. All sales are final. All prices are negotiable. Yeah. Um, and there was, there's one other, uh, just like the image of like, they go into this drug dealer's house and he's tweaking out and he's got a spear gun and oh, there's just there's just these legs of a woman hanging out from a mattress. Yeah. And it's unclear like what's happening. I mean, in context, it's like I mean, it's just a strange image and I'll remember it. Yeah. But in context, it's like this weird like 
I don't know if it's a misogynist joke because you kind of see how it pays off and it, it it's not that, but it's like this weird, like, like uh, horrifying domestic violence scene mm-hmm. and it's played, I, I, it's not played for laughs. Uh, not but it's, really. It, it's one of those try hard showy pieces that's like, like, look how fucked up the meth world is. But it's mm-hmm. like, this doesn't feel real to anything. Yeah. But I still like it just like as a weird piece of theater. <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of a piece with like just these weird uh, images like him playing the trumpet and the fire. It's like, this is stupid, but yeah. it, it's memorable. I mean, it culminates. It, you know, I mean, it culminates with him. You know, it's, it, they, they go to buy drugs from this drug dealer who clearly is getting high on his own supply, and it literally has the bit like when they first walk in, he's like sitting on the bed holding a can of bug spray because he's waiting for the spiders, mm-hmm. which is like, oh my god, like dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but, and, and then right, he's got there's a lady, like she's in between the box spring and the mattress. Mm. Um, uh, and yeah, she's clearly being mistreated. Um, but, uh, and then he like pulls out a spear gun. He's like freaking out. He's paranoid and everything, but like it culminates. They finally just do the drug dealer. And, uh, he, he says, uh, he says, excuse me, I don't mean to impose, but I am the ocean, <laughs> which like, I think that's the dumbest line of the world, but I still enjoy watching him say it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a total heat check. Like that is the purest heat check. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to impose. Yeah. But I am the ocean. <laughs> you make him sound like Adam Sandler. Yeah. <laughs> Who will come up later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. It's all in C. Watch it if you're bored. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot out there to watch, though. <laughs> oh, is yeah. it? Is it Dan Deep Down? Oh, um, well, I mean, I would say maybe it squeeze. Maybe it like sneaks in because this uh, because turn that heartbeat over again is is. Uh, I don't know. I think it wants to be, but it's not. Yeah. It's got the colorful yeah. details, but uh, I don't think it's got the black, black heart. Yeah. No, it's not truly cynical. No. no. I mean, it's, like you said, the, the fact that the plot resolves so neatly and everything, and it doesn't ever really deal with his drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Agreed. All right. Uh, well, mm. let's, let's transition to a better time. <laughs> A good time, yeah. if you will. The 2017 film by the Safdie brothers, starring one of the Safdie brothers, Benny Safdie, mm-hmm. and uh, a little actor named Robert Pattinson. <laughs> May have uh, heard of. Yeah, doing one of his uh, I'm a serious actor roles. But at this point, he is a serious actor who just did some, you know, he did some teeny bopper movies when he was starting out. Like, I, you know, yeah, at this paid. point, the narrative for him and Kristen Stewart is like, no, they're good actors yeah it's not their fault they decided to get paid yeah i mean robert downey jr is fucking iron man like yeah and that's the reverse trajectory (laughs) that's an actor going from being because he did it backwards it's okay yeah well whatever but i mean yeah it's easier to believe or something yeah yeah um this is uh um a pretty relentless uh uh wild ride of a movie Mm. uh crime movie um Pattinson's character is Connie, and he's the brother and self-appointed protector of uh, his brother Nick, who uh, has some sort of mental disability. Mm -hmm. Um, The movie opens um, with Nick in a therapy session, and I don't know if you sensed this at the time. Uh, You went in relatively blind, right? Yeah. Yeah. I knew what I was getting into when I went to go see it in theaters. I had seen their previous movie, 
um, and I knew kind of the contours of the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that was just there's this scene where a, a nice kind of uh, odd therapist is perfect casting. There's yeah. we'll talk about the casting in this movie later, but mm-hmm. um, he's he's going through this process with uh, with Nick, and uh, you know a tear eventually rolls down his eyes. Uh, Nick's eyes, yeah. Um, but for me that I was like, when's something going to happen? Like it just, I was like, he's going to grab a pencil and stab him. Like it immediately made me anxious, this yeah. movie. And then it actually gets anxiety inducing. Right. Um, the brothers don a couple of masks that, uh, make them look like these, uh, it, it, it makes them appear African American, but it's also like, these masks are very uncanny like yeah they're um, incredibly realistic looking but like but also totally unreal at the same time uh yeah i mean you could see like if you were just if you just walk past that person on the street you might not clock it if you look at it for two seconds but i mean it's like i was like wow that's actually genius for because like on like the video like their security cameras it probably doesn't Mm. i mean except that the teller will say that they were obviously masked but i mean it, it, it does like effectively obscure them yeah, they go and they do this bank job where it's just like kind of putting the note yeah. under and uh, it looks for a second like maybe they're going to get away with it. And there yeah. are a few points in this movie where you're like, maybe everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> nothing is ever okay in this movie. <laughs> no. It is a chain reaction yeah. of things going badly and Robert Pattinson's character basically trying with single-minded purpose to manipulate everybody around him. Right. So that he can uh, pull off this plan, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the robbery uh, shit shit goes haywire. Um, yeah, I will say, you know, we always spoil the movies here. I would go in with this knowing as little as possible. Maybe I should have said that at the top, but I think that this is a movie that benefits from knowing. Um, not a whole hell of a lot before you go in. Yeah, I can try to avoid spoilers for this one. It is a newer movie, 2017, so. Um, well, we can get into it, but, you know, let this be the warning that, like, the movie is going to be good if you know what happens, but it's especially exciting if if you're kind of careening along yeah. for the ride with no idea how this is going to turn out. It's up on Amazon Prime right now. It seems like it's going to be for a while. Like, I would, hi- I mean, honest to God, like, not to be douchey, but, like, I would say, like, stop the podcast, go watch the movie, and come back to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't it's seen really it. It's really worth it to see it without knowing what's going on. Um, and at this point, we haven't given anything too crazy away. Yeah, this is literally the, the first five minutes the of the movie. cover, yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to probably get into some spoilers, <laughs> so you've been warned. Yeah. Um, but the, the bank robbery goes bad. His brother gets arrested. Yep. And uh, Connie, uh, his, his goal then becomes to liberate his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, nothing goes right. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, th- that's the simplest way to put it. Um, the style of the movie is very, um, realistic, mm-hmm. um, somewhat but, expressionist, yeah. but heightened yeah. in the like colors. Um, you know, the, the it's, uh, breakneck paced yeah uh the music is by uh on a one a tricks point never is yeah one tricks point never yeah um who they work with all the time yeah and it's very discordant and extreme and like makes you kind of queasy a couple of people compared to like tangerine dream scores from the 80s yeah but uh i would say like more like hyper and like 
Yeah, more visceral, yeah. Huh. evocative. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like... they they One thing that I think there is kind of a director trademark for these guys, I, I, I think they kind of... I know that they're Harmony Korine fans. Um, they definitely kind of follow his... Um, you know, casting unusual people, people you see out in the real world, people from the street. There's somebody credited as the street casting agent in the yeah. opening credits, um, which come uh, like 20 minutes in or something. You know, one of those great like, oh, shit. Yeah, we haven't even gotten the credits. Like, I right. forgot that this is a thing. Yeah. Um, uh, so, like, every side character... Like the guy who plays the therapist feels like a real social worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I late- read the the bail bondsman is an actual bail bondsman. Yeah, like he, first they approached him because they wanted his office as a location, and then they just cast him. Yeah, um, there's a guy in the, in the jail scene. Uh, mm-hmm. where there's uh, a scene on Rikers Island where uh, Nick gets pepper sprayed. The guy doing the pepper spray used to be the commissioner of jails. Oh wow! Um, it's like I think all the cops that chase him through the mall are actual cops. Yeah, pr- most likely. Um, Everybody feels like a real person plucked. Um, even even Robert Pattinson. That's kind of the one of the miracles of the movie is he. Well, they seem to. They do seem to. Have, I mean, like this is going to come up eventually. Like they have a new movie out. Like as as we record this, Uncut Gems has just come out last week. Uh, I saw it on Thursday. Joe's going to go see it tomorrow. Um, so I won't talk too much about Uncut Gems except to say, like I've having read a bunch about Good Time and read a bunch about Uncut Gems. They they do this, and apparently they did it in their earlier work too. I mean, just like as their um, acclaim has grown, they are obviously able to attract bigger and bigger stars. But they are very good at like integrating very good actors with people who who like are just playing like mm-hmm. versions of themselves, but like real people to bring like a sense of authenticity. Yeah, the the first movie, well, the only other uh, film of theirs I've seen up to this point is uh, their last movie, Heaven Knows What, or the movie they made before, Good Time. Yeah. Um, well, which I'm, is, uh, I'm dying to see Daddy Long Legs now because apparently it's like sort of autobiographical. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I have that in my Criterion channel queue right now. Yeah. Uh, they got a bunch of their stuff up there. Um, but uh, Heaven Knows What is a story of a heroin addict, and it's based on a heroin addict's memoir, unpublished memoirs that they met. Uh, just like on it, uh, waiting for the subway or something, <laughs> and she plays the main heroin addict. Yeah, along uh, and her co-star is Caleb Landry Jones, who, when that movie came out, wasn't quite the star he is now. Or I don't know if calling him a star is accurate, but he's he's in seemingly everything now. Right. Um, for those who don't know, he's the brother in Get Out. He was uh, the guy that gets his ass kicked in that horrible three billboards over <laughs> oh, yeah. or whatever the fuck that movie was Heavy, called. Heavy Montana, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, the, yeah, this this mixture of, you know, the, the streets with, you know... Which, by the way, did you see the thing that suppose... I don't know how true this is. This is on the IMDb trivia page, but what it says there is the way Robert Pattinson got involved with this was he just saw a still photograph from mm-hmm. heaven knows what. Yeah. And just like blind called them and said like, I don't know who you are or what you do, but I'll do whatever you do next. Yeah. And they, they, they were planning on, they were trying to put together uncut gems and we're yeah. like, well, let's fucking put something together here. <laughs> yeah. Um, the co-writer and the editor of this movie, Ronald Bronstein, who mm-hmm. stars in daddy long legs, um, I listened to some interviews about how him and I think Josh co-wrote the movie with him of the brothers. Right. Um, Their writing process is really interesting. Like they basically came up with this huge backstory of their entire lives. Yeah. Up until this movie. Yeah. 
Um, which, if you watch the movie, there's very little backstory or exposition to these brothers. You get little snippets of right. hints of what their past is like, but you know them fleshing out that background. Mm-hmm. Um, it motivates every choice that Connie makes in the movie, right. and it, it's a movie that is basically structured by the string of choices this character makes. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was worried that seeing it a second time. Um, because it's such an experiential movie yeah. that it wouldn't hold together as well. Mm-hmm. And I found it just as powerful the second time. Yeah, it's crazy. It is like a real experience. It's so visceral. It's like, it, you can't just, it's fun, I mean, it's funny. Like I've been talking to people like at work, like, you know, people I would call like normals mm-hmm. <laughs> about like how excited I am to see Uncut Gems. And I'm like, well, that's why these guys, the Safety brothers, like their movies are known for being like really anxiety inducing and almost nauseating. And everybody's like, well, that sounds awful. And I'm like, yeah. I know, but like in a fun way. <laughs> yeah. It's, they're not doing it just to shock. Right. Um, it, well, yeah. Like one thing I read, which I love is like, you know, they were talking about like how the Safety brothers, um, are like they dislike violence and so like when they represent violence in their movies like they don't ever like glorify it or romanticize it or sex it up mm-hmm. um, reminded me of like uh, killing it, the drive director uh, Nicholas Winding Refn yeah like the way his violence always feels horrible mm-hmm. you know uh, yeah th- uh, there were two points as I was watching it the second time where I almost cried which almost never happens to me yeah uh, just because the intensity was like so unpleasant uh, yeah. when when Nick is getting pepper sprayed and there's right. that fight in the yeah. in the jail, um, I was just like Jesus Christ, this is so unfair. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that's that's maybe why some of the stuff isn't shocking is because I think they genuinely have a belief that like I've heard one of them say in interviews that like you know everybody in the system's a victim like right. you know like nobody deserves the kind of treatment they get you know like right they genuinely have sympathy for kind of the people on the the outskirts of society you know kind of the outcasts and fuck ups um yeah uh and then the second point uh in the fun house or what's the place adventure yeah adventureland yeah that the what they do to the guard there yeah uh, yeah Played by uh, was that like Academy Award winner, um, the guy from Captain Phillips. Yeah, I don't forget his name, but um, yeah, we'll have to look that up. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, basically, I mean, there's um, this is not a message movie, but to the extent that it connects to the our our contemporary times and kind of the <laughs> contemporary discourse, it's a, a movie kind of about white privilege run amok a little bit. Yeah, it's funny. I liked that take. Like that had not occurred to me on my first viewing, but I read. Did you read the New Yorker review? Um, no, not recently. I might have seen it before. Yeah, the, the I forget who it is, but the, it was the main movie critic for the New Yorker. Um, he reviewed it and he talked about that, which I thought was super interesting. I was like, oh right, and that works. And then, I mean, I, he's not wrong. I'm just exhausted by the fact that like we connect everything to Trump these days. But I was like, I mean, you're not wrong, but I'm just exhausted by that. Mm. The way that he dominates the narrative. I was like, I hope the Safdie brothers weren't trying to say something about Trump by making this movie, but I don't, I don't think that they, yeah, you know, I think that they're, I don't know, they're not out there to, to, yeah, uh, do a message movie, but there is, you just watch Robert Pattinson, who is white, yeah, right, <laughs> um, basically well, like just play people of color the entire movie and pit like. The, in the security guard scene, for instance, he he knocks the security guard out and puts on his uniform. Right. And even though he's the guy breaking into the place, 
he's able to be like, no, no, it's this guy right here. Right. Uh, and then they pour a bunch of liquid acid down the guy's throat. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. And then he's as he's driving away, the, the, the fear of the guy, the guy's only in the movie for a little bit, but, yeah, man, it's such a good performance. Yeah, uh, Barkat Abdi, by the way. Okay. Yeah. That, that. Um, but, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's uh, it's a fucking crazy movie. I don't know. It's an incredible performance by Robert Pattinson. Yeah. And no, like, sometimes, like, an actor will de-glam as a way to glam. Right. And yeah, this they, is, like, like u- ugly up. Yeah. And there's no moment in the movie where he's showboating. It's, like, mm-hmm. a very, he's, you see his thought processes. You see him working at all times. Yeah. And it's kind of this, like, very committed, grounded performance where mm-hmm. um, there's no big, like, uh, the world did me wrong. You know, yeah, there's yeah. no big like scene where he like really gets like a big emotional payoff or like goes for the Oscar. Like this is the kind of performance that's like, no, this is an actor genuinely wanting a challenge. Right. Uh, and going for it. Um, yep. Yeah. I don't know that. Uh, and, pro- and I was gonna say like props to Benny Safdie. And, and like, that was when I mentioned that, like the connection, like I thought Benny Safdie, you know, performing that character, which like like some like most reviewers were like great performance by Benny Safdie of like something that you know everybody's like that's a tightrope man like that can go wrong real fast yeah um uh, and then like one reviewer was like this like very cliched performance I was like dude what the fuck like I, mm, I yeah. thought it was an amazing performance um but as I say like uh, that was the connection when we were talking about the Salt and Sea like I thought Peter Sarsgaard was like the most human part of that movie playing mm. like a somebody with some sort of like reduced mental capacity or something yeah i think i think i read that as more as um as this will sound mean uh in context but i just thought he, his character was kind of uh like sweet and dumb yeah right um, yeah i mean it's a, and, yeah, it's, and a drug it, addict yeah. yeah right i mean it's a different right totally different world than the character benny safety's playing but like just to say that like 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 performances that could have been very off-putting mm-hmm. like in the wrong hands or you know but and like very well done yeah uh no sentimentality to it right. um and the way the way the movie's kind of bookended you may expect there to be some sentimentality to it but there's not right. um they originally wanted to have a uh, an actor with you know some sort of uh, mental disability play the character yeah. um but ultimately decided like as they were going through the process that it would be too exploitative and, right and they you know be too emotionally draining so yeah um yeah that's kind of to me like a good example of the line they ride like they bring these real people into it but uh you know it it doesn't feel exploitative because they you know they seem to be their sympathies lie with real people i, I guess yeah uh, yeah right exactly yeah i mean everything right it feels like they've got empathy for everybody involved mm-hmm. yeah um, also, we we haven't mentioned Jennifer Jason Lee, and she's like she's in it for like mm. three minutes, but like incredible for three minutes. Like, yeah, uh, as kind of his high strung older girlfriend that he's just using for her mom's credit card. Yeah, um, wow. Yeah, uh, another actor just disappearing into a role, which is what she's done since Fast Times at Ridgemont High, basically. Right. Um, uh, I really like the guy, Buddy Duress, the the guy right who plays like the other drug dealer. Yeah. Well, what happens <laughs> is. <laughs> Uh, this will be a spoiler. One of the best twists of the movie yeah. is he busts his, he busts his brother. He thinks out of prison or, yeah. or out of a hospital, um, right? Because his brother's been like in a very bad fight in the jail, yeah, and yeah. so like his face is all bandaged up. Yeah, and uh, they. Um, so Robert Pattinson goes to the hospital, sees a cop sitting outside of a hospital room. 
he find he busts this guy out goes through you you're you know at the edge of your seat watching him get out of this hospital yeah he you know uh, eventually cons his way <laughs> into staying at a house uh with this total uh, strangers who he met on a bus yeah coming from the hospital yeah um plays on their sympathies the grandmother goes to sleep it's him and the 16 year old daughter mm-hmm. um and the guy he thinks he's his brother is in this. Uh, <laughs> he's been out the whole time. Unconscious. Yeah, he's he's unconscious. He's in the side room, and then halfway through this, <laughs> the you know the at this way it might be the halfway point of the movie. Yeah, you realize oh that's not his fucking brother. Yeah, like the guy comes out of it and is freaking out, and he's a drug addict who just got out of jail. And yeah, uh, they do uh, a great job of like underplaying it. It doesn't like there's not like a musical sting or anything. You know, like they don't like point at it. Like because mm-hmm. I, I was disoriented. It took me like. You know, it was like like a minute after Robert Pattinson realized that I realized, like, oh shit, that's not his brother. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure the actor there really has kind of that kind of background. Oh um, yeah, and he was in there. Uh, he was in Heaven Knows What, um, and then they liked him so much that they're like, yeah, he's you know he cleaned up. He's going to be an actor now. Cool. Um, and he's got this. I mean, that guy, that character is so. Uh, <laughs> is uh yeah so real feeling uh uncomfortably real feeling right um, and it could uh you know you get the feeling with all these people that it's like drawing on their real experiences or like stories that they heard right which um, he gets the only break in the narrative for a, yeah. for a flashback to like how he got to where he was oh yeah which uh you know maybe reminded me a little bit of uh something out of rules of attraction or something right. uh but uh yeah that that sequence uh as somebody who's Ne- I've never had that kind of spiral, but who has had some kind of spiraling <laughs> nights of uh, confusion yeah. uh, is a viscerally terrifying scene to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, there is a uh, talking about the scene where he's in the uh, the nice grandmother's house. Right. Um, there was a, when I saw the movie in theaters, uh, the part where he, he's watching TV with the the 16 year old girl yeah um and uh his face pops up on screen yeah as uh as a criminal on the news and he just goes and makes out with her yeah and everybody in the theater was like no (laughs) no like it you know the an example uh contrasting it to salt and sea this is a movie that uh will go to despicable and uncomfortable lengths and uh all the details in it that feel like colorful uh anecdotes uh, feel connected to a tangible, uh, yeah. real lived-in experience. Um, right. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great job by her, by the way, Talia Lenise Webster. Yeah. Like yeah. everybody says, like she's like incredible, and it, it seems like like not a professional actor, just yeah. like somebody they found. Yeah. That she's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Just like kind of a, a sweet kid that gets, yeah. or like kind, of, but kid trying to play a little older than she is. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, funny. Like, I mean, like, and like, it's the kind of true of the Robert Pattinson character too. Of like, in some way, she is like super. I mean, she's like clearly intelligent, but it's like super smart and ahead of it. And then something she's just like un- in- inexperienced and yeah. naive. Well, she's got this older guy kind of manipulating yeah. her and messing with her mind. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. The only other thing I wanted to shout out is the cinematographer Sean Price Williams. Uh, this stuff is insane. If you watch this and then Uncut Gems, and like they somebody talked about it in a review of Uncut Gems. Um, like the, the way that they shoot. Oh, yeah. Somebody was talking about like, especially because of like having the non-actors involved. Like somebody was saying like actors 
know how to do things like even in a scene where two people are yelling at each other like this is part of the craft of acting is like you know how to do that so it feels emotional but it's easy to edit like actors never talk over each other while they're shooting Mm -hmm. because it's a nightmare to edit that stuff and but like the safties bring all these real people in so it's like they're like no this is literally a nightmare to edit (laughs) yeah yeah uh his his cinematography is uh it's like very handheld feeling but it's not like like normally that stuff drives me nuts but this you can tell like it's crafted yeah and having seen other stuff he's done this is something he does very well it's like every movement of the camera feels very expressive and tied to what's happening and the lighting in the movie is so insane uh the, the scene where as the movie goes on the lighting sources get more and more bizarre yeah and uh there's the scene like when the whole scene in that house is so dark yeah and there's a scene where they put the the guy they think is his brother in the room and she goes the lights don't work in here you just have to keep the tv on and it's like (laughs) what a great way to motivate just having everything bathed in like weird blue glow and like yeah neon colors Uh, you know they go to this amusement park and all the lights get turned on and there's black lights everywhere it's fucking it's a trip yeah, uh, a just, nightmare trip. I know. Like one that stands out for me is just like when he's on the bus and like all the light, like while the bus is rolling, all the lights are red, mm. and then, and like so it's just like his head like bathed in red light, and yeah. then um, uh, which then you can kind of get the story of like Robert Pattinson saw a photograph and was like, I want to work with those guys. It's like, oh yeah, yeah I can kind of get it now. Yeah, um, and then like it comes to a stop, and it's like that terrible, you know, uh, you know, like uh, neon or not neon, but um, fluorescent light, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's like, yeah, there's like 20, you could pull like a million stills out of this movie that would be just like awesome pieces of art. Yeah. So uh, you guys should go see Good good Time on Prime. Yeah, see Good Time and go see Uncut Gems. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Uh, I can't wait. We're going to say like, I, when we mentioned The Bird earlier, that's why it came up. I was super excited that The, the Bird never gets first run movies mm-hmm. and it got Uncut Gems. I don't like, I, I hope it's just because like A24 is cool. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, we, we didn't get Midsummer. Um, as a first run, Mm-mm. it's weird. Anyway, but the bird is great. So go see Uncut Gems, and they're playing it for six dollars. Yeah, it's yeah, it's great. It's still uh, it's fucking, still bird prices. Yeah, or I guess that that's like a little higher than normal, but yeah. it's not fifteen dollars or whatever it is to go to. It makes the movie. I was already excited for it, and this only makes it feel more special. Yeah, it was great. Know? Yeah, yeah. So go see it. Go see it at the bird if you're in Richmond. Uh, yeah. It's awesome. Should we uh, transition to what's good? Since you're, I'm guessing that was part of your what's good there. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly happy. I've got, yeah, I've, I, I don't have like one thing. I've got like 12 things. But that yeah. that's w- one of them is like, yeah, I saw Uncut Gems of the Bird. And, uh, oh, I, I wanted to mention, um, uh, <laughs> it feels like we didn't get into it right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, hey, so, uh, hey, Scott. Yeah. Uh, it did feel weird. <laughs> I, I was going to suggest the same thing. I just love this part so much. Yeah. Um, I've been wondering. Uh, what could you possibly be wondering? I've been thinking all night. <laughs> what, what's good? Oh, what's good? Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah let's talk about what's good. So, uh, yeah, the bird theater is good. Um, I love seeing movies of the bird, especially. Um, but so part of it is, is um, what's good is the bird. Uh, but what's not good is fucking Disney. Um, as much as I have been enjoying The Mandalorian, um, even though it is totally cynic cynical corporate art but well done um uh fuck disney uh because because disney bought fox studios Mm. uh they're pulling fox movies from repertory theaters so i don't get to see fucking die hard at the bird which is like my one of my favorite things to do in christmas yeah i fucking love die hard i know it's like a basic bitch thing to say now it's like not a 
not a revelation to say Die Hard's a great fucking movie, but it it's is. a great fucking movie. Every time I watch it, just like Jaws, I'm like, I know this movie is great, and I'm still surprised by how great it is every time I sit down to watch it. So fucking good. And you can watch it at the bird, and it's like a magical thing. I love watching, um, like, what's the other one? Like, any, like anytime they show a movie that everybody's seen before, and, like, normally this shit drives me nuts, but, like, they show Die Hard at the bird, and, like, everybody, like, applauds the first time Hans Gruber shows up on screen, and I, like, I never feel so, like, plugged into a community and like never so happy to like lit and then you walk out of the bird theater this beautiful beautiful movie palace and like carry town is lit up with christmas lights like oh i have like a warm glow so fuck you disney that's what's good what's good is fuck you disney yeah. uh, but what else seconded is, <laughs> but what else is good is uh is uh watching i got gems of the bird yeah and that's plenty for me this week i had like five other things lined up but i'll save them so uh let me turn the tables on you sir (laughs) (laughs) i demand to know at this moment what is good okay um (laughs) for me uh let's see after i watched good time yeah i was like i need to chase this with something and i still wanted to kind of stay in that like nocturnal state of despair yeah um, but I wanted something a little more mellow and contemplative. So yeah. I put in, uh, it's also on Prime. I hate to plug an evil corporation right after we uh, I know. we shit on Disney. But, uh, you know, Prime's got some good stuff in the back catalog. And uh, they have Paul Schrader's Light Sleeper from 1992 uh, starring Willem Dafoe as Ooh. a... Um, like a drug delivery boy to high... high, uh, high high-scale clients in new york city okay um uh working for susan sarandon oh hell <laughs> as, yeah as the, kind of the drug matriarch um and he's a recovering addict and uh you know is just feeling like anxious and you know he's going to see psychics and uh there's like this the whole movie is scored by this guy i think his name is michael bean but basically everything sounds like kind of a uh bruce springsteen ripoff uh, okay. on the soundtrack you got David Spade playing a theological uh, Wall Street guy uh, doing cocaine. You got uh, <laughs> it's it's like a murderer's um, row. It's a great, great one of the great sleeper movies of the '90s. No pun intended, because it's called Light Sleeper. Yeah, um, but uh, it's a movie that uh, I can really get get into its soul sick kind of vibes. It's basically Paul Schrader is always remaking Pickpocket. Um, yeah. For those who don't know Paul Schrader, he most famous for writing Taxi Driver and Raging Bull for Martin Scorsese. And then mm-hmm. uh, was it last year that First Reformed came out? Yeah. Or yeah, last year or two years ago. Yeah. Um, the you know for me one of the one of the great movies of the past few years. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to see a good Ethan Hawke movie? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely check out uh, First Reformed if you haven't seen that. But Light Sleeper. Uh, really, really great underseen movie. Um, is A twenty four just like the most successful movie studio in history? Like, I have not seen a bad A twenty four movie yet. Um, you know, I don't know. There are a lot of people that that you know swear swear by them. Um, it's it's just weird. I mean, they, there's some clunkers in there. Are there? Uh, but okay. but you know, yeah. I mean, I've seen like four movies, but it's just it's it's it feels like a place that has like a house style. Mm-hmm. But it, and it's all good. I don't know. I think they I think they do take some chances on on. Uh, on people who maybe other places wouldn't take chances yeah. on. Sorry, digression. Oh, no, no. Uh, a welcome digression yeah. uh, in an episode full of <laughs> maybe our most digressive episode. This whole episode is really just a pastiche of mis- mismatched parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it's of a piece with the song. Yeah. 
Uh, and then I will also, I've been uh, making my way through a book of film criticism uh, by this guy, A.S. Hamra. He writes for N Plus One magazine. Okay. Uh, he re- recently released a collection called The Earth Dies Streaming. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, he's he's got a real, uh, there's some real negative vibes in the book, but the kind that make you kind of realize what you do value in art. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you're if you're into like a naysayer who's also a truth teller, you know maybe check out A.S. Hamra. And a lot of his reviews are very short. He, oh, cool. uh, it's the master of the capsule review. Nice. Um, but yeah, Earth Dice streaming and uh, Light Sleeper. Nice. God, love Willem Dafoe. Good call. By the way, my wife had the right take on Amazon. I was bemoaning the fact that we still like order stuff from Amazon. I try to like not do it as much as I can, but like the service is so good. But she was like. If we decide not to order from Amazon, that's not going to change anything that Amazon does. Mm. Use these people and then vote for politicians who will regulate them appropriately. Yeah, hopefully that yeah. works. <laughs> um, I guess next week we're, we're, yeah, we're doing, doing a weird a, one. We're doing the album recap. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah so, so there will be no homework for us or for you, dear listener. Except, you know, listening to the album again. Hopefully we'll bring on a guest or two. We're still getting our ducks lined up there. Yeah, um, that will be a surprise. Yeah, so su- surprise special guests next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it'll just be a recap of Can't Buy Through It. We'll go back to the album, talk about what we've uh, learned, how we've how we've changed as, as people and, and Dan Vance. <laughs> yeah. Um, and hopefully uh, bring in an outside perspective. Yeah. Oh, I... I, we've already passed what's good, but I do. We we inconsistently ask Dakota what's good, and uh, I am curious. Uh, what's good, Dakota? What's been good for you lately? Electronic drums. Oh yeah, they're right in front of us here in the uh, studio. Yeah. What, what's uh, what's what's the story? There's no story. I wanted electronic drums, and I got them. Nice, cool. <laughs> but I'm really happy to have them. They are that. Uh, People talk about drums being like a stress relief, and that's kind of like how like Die Hard is the best Christmas movie to musicians. Yeah, but it's true. Yeah, and Die Hard's the best Christmas movie. So uh, it's yeah, true. it's we've have we have confirmation on that. I've heard Bill Burr talk, talk a lot about playing drums. He's a, he's an enthusiastic drummer. I have to check that out. Yeah. I, I'm not caught up on Bill Burr. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like a completionist or anything. But so I. I did used to like sample his podcast from time to time. I kind of like hearing him just like uh, talk about his day sometimes. Yeah, it's nice to. It's nice to hear somebody talk about their day. That's not your damn life. <laughs> <laughs> that's a. That's um. That I'm just kidding, everybody. It's great to listen to your wife. That's true. And uh, that was just me making a comment on the kind of you know misogynistic humor that once was funny and uh i don't find it funny at all it's not it's terrible um yes you do seem more relaxed dakota yeah thank you as a as a dan fan can i suggest that you check out the work of bernard pretty purdy check out the purdy shuffle he's pretending to write down the same i've seen that that's (laughs) the purdy shuffle yeah go back to that since now i'm a full expert drummer yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah or at least watch um so th- we've probably talked about it before the the vh1 classic albums about asia it's mm, a great watch it's on yeah, youtube I'll for some it reason yeah it's a great watch but there's a great scene where every like they talked to bernard pretty pretty a little bit they brought him in for asia um and, but somebody else tells the story of i think it's walter becker tells the story when bernard pretty pretty showed up for his session he set up his drums and then he set up two sides on, on either side of his drum kit the first sign said congratulations and uh 
Oh, no. The first sign said, you done did it. And the other sign said, you hired the hit maker. Wow. <laughs> Those are good signs. Yeah. Um, do we have any other thing? Uh, no. Yeah. Well, so next week, um, uh, we'll do that. And then, uh, and then our next episode, like, man, we're going to, we're going to move on to a new album or, well, there was talk of a bonus episode too, but that'll be a surprise yeah, if yeah. it happens. But keep, stay tuned listeners. Yeah. Be prepared with your takes. Uh, and as always, uh, yeah, we, I forget to encourage people to do this a lot. Um, uh, but, uh, feel free to reach out to us on, uh, on uh, we have a we have a Twitter account at Stealing in the Dan, and we have a Gmail Stealing in the Dan at Gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know your thoughts. If you send them in, uh, I will uh, sample any that I find especially uh, interesting or entertaining. Yeah, uh, we'd love to have uh, a plethora of uh, of opinions on uh, on the album uh, for the next episode. Favorite track, least favorite track, uh, track that uh, hopefully this this uh, if there are any tracks that this podcast made you reevaluate and change if your opinion. If we turned about, you on to something good. Yeah, we did have uh, a shout out to Max on Twitter, uh, our most communicative uh, fan. Uh, he did say that uh, we'd ruined dirty work for him. So I mm. say, I say, job well done, us. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're here for. <laughs> we naysayers, we, but truth tellers. <laughs> we, we led him to the truth, which is that dirty work sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I guess that leaves only one matter on the table. Yeah. And that's uh, Dakota. What did you learn this week? <laughs> I learned that uh, Steely Dan is not prog rock. <laughs> Controversial, <laughs> but probably true. Not not settled. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, ride ride on, little warriors. <laughs> Catch you on the next cattle hall. <laughs> <laughs>